Welcome to Rooftop Church. This podcast is part of our Sunday sermon series, where each week we dive into the Word of God and the powerful message of Christ. Now I'm back on uh, full preaching mode here today. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. Let's read together, shall we? And when I came to you, brethren, I did not come... With superiority of speech or of wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God. For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of of God. Would you read verses 4 and 5 with me? Let's read together in one voice, shall we? And my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words or of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. Church, please bow your heads with me in prayer before we begin. God, we just pray that Uh, You would allow us to encounter you, God. God, we ask that we go beyond our just, uh, our intellect, God, our understanding, God. God, God, we pray more than just uh, the emotions that we feel in our hearts. God, we pray for the overwhelming sense of the Holy Spirit in this room, God. God, we uh, we pray for a full demonstration of your Spirit's power in this room today, God. God, in that, we concede our experiences. We concede our knowledge of who you are, God. I pray that you would allow us to experience you in a new way, in a powerful way. So, God, give us ears to hear and hearts to receive all that you have ready for us this afternoon. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, where were we? It's been a couple of weeks. Uh, we, we, we took a break this past weekend talking about 1 Corinthians. So, what did we last talk about? The last time we had a chance to share out of this book, we talked about how the cross is a foolishness for those who are perishing, but for those that are being saved, it is the power of God. In that passage, we talked about how the cross of Christ, it, it presents to us as this great paradox. How God chose an instrument, how God chose a method that was so outside of the realm of Uh, conventional thinking in the worldly sense, God would choose to display the most important message that He would convey to mankind. Yet He chose the instrument of the cross, something that was despised upon, something that was ridiculed, something that really was reserved only for the worst of all criminals. Cross was associated with crime, hatred, punishment, shame. And it to us is a great paradox because God would choose that to convey His love, His heart to us. That's kind of where we left off the last time we met here. And today's passage, Paul extends his thoughts and he shares more of his opinions on the same subject matter. This time, he inserts himself into the argument by saying in verse 1, he says, When I came to you... He's talking about his first visit when he visited the city of Corinth and when he actually planted the church. He says, when I came to you, I didn't come to you with superiority of speech or of 
wisdom. When we read that part in verse 1, it's important for you to understand, for me, for me to understand that Paul is not conveying here of his incompetence. Paul is not saying, you know what, I didn't know better. He's not saying, I lacked in my knowledge or I lacked in my experiences. It's actually the quite opposite of that. Paul is saying, you know what, when I came to you, I could have come to you flexing my knowledge. I don't know if that, that's how you not flex your knowledge, right? Flexing my knowledge, using my head. I could have come to you using eloquent speech. I could have come to you with sound argument because I'm educated, because I know my stuff. But he says, in fact, he says, I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That word, he, for I determined, that word is very important because that word conveys to us that Paul did not lack in his ability. Rather, he chose, meaning he decided as he discerned for himself. I possess all the qualities. I am an intellectual I'm highly educated. I could engage you in uh, sophisticated conversations. But it says, I determined to know nothing. Meaning I chose to lay aside my knowledge. I chose to lay aside the worldly credentials. And I determined to know nothing except Christ and Him crucified. Paul shares a similar sentiment in another letter of his, this time a letter written to the church in Philippi. If you read Philippians chapter 3, this is what is said of uh, Paul himself actually. If anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, this is Apostle Paul saying, I for more circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to the righteousness which is in the law, found blameless. He's talking about how all that he knows, the person that he was and the person that he has been up to this point, all of his accolades, we call them street creds, all of his street creds, all of these things that while he could present, he considered that, you know what, none of this is worth mentioning. But what is Paul saying? He's saying, this is quite a, a statement, isn't it? He's basically talking about his birth. He's talking about the, what, what a wonderful family he comes from. What a wonderful community of faith that he comes from. He's talking about how when it comes to observing the law, not, not only did I know all of the law, he's basically saying, you know what? I was nearly perfect, man. I mean, can any one of us actually imagine saying that? How many of us would feel comfortable saying, you know what, look into my life, discern my thoughts, uh, examine the way I live? Would you guys feel comfortable doing that? He says, he makes a statement, say, you know what, do that. When you do that, you will realize that I will be found blameless. I mean, it's pretty ludicrous. It's, it's pretty bold for him to say that. But the verse right after verse 6, uh, right after he, he makes the statement about himself, he says, what? But as I know Christ, I consider everything, every part of me, I consider all of my knowledge, I consider it rubbish. 
And he felt the need to make that point where he said, all of these things I could present to you that you'll be impressed by, that you would appe- you'd be appeased in knowing how, how great a person I am. He says, I consider all of this dung. It doesn't even, it's not even worth mentioning. And here, th- this is not Paul being, what is that, fake humble or falsely being humble here. He's, I, I believe he's being genuinely humble. Paul seems to really believe that not only his individual salvation was not as a result of his own greatness or achievements, but he genuinely believes that his ministry also, his pastoral, his missional, his apostolic ministry as well, he tributes, it's not because I'm great. It's not because something that I can convey eloquently with my words, conveying my knowledge. He seems to really understand that all of the work that God had called him to do was made possible because God's Spirit had empowered him to do so. You know, how did, how did Paul really see himself, guys? Uh, guys, imagine, imagine just the person of Paul. Uh, just to start, he wrote more than half the New Testament. So he's a pretty big deal, wouldn't you say? He planted churches all over Asia, all over Europe. Uh, he's probably, besides the person of Jesus Christ, probably the most influential, most powerful, most impactful of a person that you and I know of as Christians. But you know the most common way that Paul refers himself as? You know the title that he most commonly used in referring himself as? Is the word servant. He genuinely believed that he was, just, uh, he was just a servant. He was a simply an instrument of God. And he seems to attribute all of the successes, all of the effectiveness of his ministry to the involvement and the, and the working of God. Guys, you guys know who I am. Most of you guys know relatively what kind of person I am, what kind of skills I have. Let me ask you this question. How good would a scalpel be in my hands? You guys are terrified just thinking about that thought. How good would a paintbrush be useful in my hands? You guys are laughing this time, not scared. It's, it's a, you guys are laughing because I'm not an artist. But now, you place the same scalpel in the hands of a skilled surgeon. You place the same paintbrush in the hands of a master artist, a maestro. Then we are talking about different stuff. We're talking about now someone who's able to, what? Bring about physical healing to someone who is sick. Turn a a blank canvas into a masterpiece that everyone would be wowed by. Paul sees himself, you know what? I am just simply a servant of God. I am simply an instrument being used by God. We need to really understand this because he carried his spirit wherever he went. Even when he went to the city of Corinth and many other places, he never claimed that he figured out God. He never claims that he had come to a very end in the culmination of his knowledge of who God is. Remember, uh, if you read uh, one of the most famous chapters in 1 Corinthians, chapter 13, it says, Now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face, now I know in part, but then I will know fully just as also I have been fully known. 
Paul is talking about, you know what, I, I have seen a lot. But what I know right now is just a microcosm of what's to be revealed to me fully. I see in a mirror, dimly. You guys are thinking, why would a mirror reflect an image that is dim? Well, back in the days, they did not have the uh, uh, technology that we do know we, we, we have now. When we think of a mirror, we're thinking very shining object. You can see yourself clearly in a mirror. But back in the days, it was just a glorified, polished metal. That's what a mirror was. So every time these guys would look into a mirror, you could never quite uh, 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 grasp the full image, the original image. He's, that's exactly what he's saying. You know what? I kind of understand. I kind of get who God is. But you know what? I don't completely understand this. But one day, I will get it. What about in Philippians chapter 3, uh, 3 verse 12? Not that I have already obtained it or have already become made perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. He's talking about, you know what? I've lived this Christian life. I've ran this race. After that, I don't quite get it yet. I've obtained a lot. I've achieved a lot. I've gained an understanding. But you know what? I'm not there yet. Paul is saying... Over and over again, I will never have God figured out. I don't get it. I can't quite grasp God. God's grace, God's love, His plan for salvation, His continual involvement. Paul is saying, we have to be careful when we over repeatedly try to approach God with our intellect. You can't simply just try to make sense of it on your own. It doesn't work that way. In Paul's admission and confession, he poses a question that you and I should be mindful about. Then where should we place our confidence in? Where do we place our trust in? How will we ever understand how God works? How will we ever understand how God is involved in our lives? And Paul conveys that truth and that secret in this passage. You know what his answer is? It's not our intellect. It's not our experiences. He says, it's a demonstration of the spirit and power. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, demonstration is just a spirit and power. Come on, do it, say it more convincingly. Hey, spirit and power. Spirit and power. I felt the need to convey this message clearly. So um, it's been a little over a year. So I've been feeling very left out when uh, Pastor Tavis one day rolled up, literally his sleeves, and he came back with beautiful tattoos. So today is just... Spirit and power. Okay, say that with me. Spirit and power. Paul is saying, this is where we place our confidence in. He's saying, Paul is saying, this is where I put my trust in and conveying the gospel. It's not my knowledge. It's not my experience. It all has to do with the Spirit of God and the power of God. He's, ta he's talking about, it's not the eloquence of speech. It's not his intellect. He's saying there's something beyond himself that is greater, that is able to carry the heart of God. 
demonstration of power and spirit. Not understanding, it's not a mind thing. When we hear the word demonstration, it's what? It's physical. It's demonstrative. It's outward expression. So Paul is saying, Chris, Paul is saying demonstration of spirit and power. He's talking about two things here. He's talking about the activity of the Holy Spirit. First of all, you and I recognize that the Holy Spirit is a person. Holy Spirit is not some Casper-looking ghost that floats around, ooh, spooky around. He, Holy Spirit is a third of the person that the triune God. And the Holy Spirit is very active. He has been commissioned to us. He has been sent to us on behalf of Jesus leaving the earth. He's saying, I'm going to be leaving, peace out. But in my place, I leave with you the Holy Spirit. And His job is what? Simply to help you along the way in the journey of your faith. So the Holy Spirit is constantly involved. He has an agenda. He has a mission. He has been commissioned by God. The, God the Father say, you know what? Get involved and I give you the full authority. I give you full power. Now, go work on behalf of me in helping and allowing my children to be drawn near to me. There's an activity of the Holy Spirit. What about the word Power. Power. In the Greek language, the word is dunamis, which conveys strength, power, or ability. And this is where we get the English words like uh, dynamic, dynamo, a very concrete word, dynamite, TNT, things that blow up, right? So we're talking about something very, very powerful. Something that has the ability to literally explode things. And Paul uses that word. And that word is used throughout, all throughout the New Testament. And every single time that word power, dunamis, is used, it has to do with what? Supernatural display of God's ability. That word is used throughout the Gospels when uh, there's a miracle being performed. That word is being used when there's an encounter and a transformation of a person's life. When we talk about God's power. And Paul is saying here, when you approach the gospel of Jesus Christ, when you try to understand the heart of God, you cannot just approach it with a human intellect. He's conveying there's something that lies beyond our understanding. And you have to involve the spirit of God and the power of God. This is important. Paul is contending that we ought to focus not only on the soundness of our logic and doctrine or even clarity of what we're trying to convey in speech. But as Paul is talking about, there is a demonstrative work of God's power and spirit and for you to understand how God operates. Amen? You guys are not convinced. Let me share some examples of this. How the gospel or God's working, many times it's beyond our understanding. In 2009, I was uh, invited to attend a, a short-term mission trip to Mexico. Uh, my senior pastor at that time invited me to come along for a, a, a week 
long trip. And his job, he had the mission, or he had the agenda of teaching and educating and equipping 80 local, um, local Mexican pastors that came from many different cities, and they were gathered in one room. And his job was to train them so that they would be more successful in their pastoral ministries. And I think uh, in my memories, uh, he took the book of Matthew and he expounded it, and he taught it for five days, about eight hours a day. So imagine how fun that was. And you, you're having to sit through. This is uh, being taught in Korean, being translated into Spanish. Eight hours. Did I tell you? Eight hours. So I'm there. I'm like, well, that's great. And about third day on came Wednesday, uh, he finished the morning session. I said, Scott, he pulled me aside. I said, you know what? Uh, I, I, we are about halfway through. I'm really tired. I'm losing my voice. Can you take an afternoon session and give me a break? Take about an hour, an hour and a half, and do something. I'm like, Pastor, what do you mean to say? You're a pastor. Just preach a sermon. And, and I'm like, I can't do that. I, I'm, not as, I'm not as experienced like you said. Well, and I'm not, not going to argue. When your senior pastor tells you to do something, you've got to do it, right? Uh, is that how you think? <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> I'm thinking so. And he went to his room, and he, he, he went to take a nap. So here I am, just minutes before this afternoon session, I'm, I'm trying to come up with something, right? I've got to fill at least an hour, hour and a half. So I, I, I don't know, forget, I forget what, I think I preached out of Acts 2, uh, talking something about church, the New Testament church. So I'm preaching, right? I have my translator here. I'm about 10 minutes into my sermon, barely getting through the introduction and just getting to the main points of the pe- passage. And I hear, I feel this prompt in my spirit. I, I feel this tugging in my heart. Holy Spirit telling me, Scott, that's good. Wrap it up. Let's do ministry time. So I'm like, I'm paralyzed in fear. And I'm like contemplating disobedience. I like, God, what are you doing to me? So I try to shake it off. And mind you, this is in the middle of my session. I'm trying to fight off, I don't know what this is, but I hear it again. I say, Scott, wrap it up. I want you to finish this session and say you're going to have ministry time. This is not going well to me. So I turn to my translator and say, you know what? We're going to wrap up this session. And I believe that God is wanting us to pray, and we're going to enter to ministry time. Are you kidding me? I, 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 I said it, and the translator looked at me, and said, kind of gave me that look, 10 minutes in. But it, I, I didn't have, even have the time to process it. He's already translating, and people are getting, folding their notebooks, getting ready. And I said, we're going to pray right now. I'm like pacing back and forth right the whole time. God, you better do something. Because right now, if you don't show up, if you don't tell me what's going to happen next, because forget about me being embarrassed, you're going to look real bad. At this point, I'm like praying and threatening God. And then people are getting up, they're kind of puzzled, but you can see the look of anticipation on their their faces. I'm like praying, and, and God kind of brings these prompts into my spirit again. And I want you to call out for specific sicknesses. Guys, I, I, I'm going to say to you guys, I do not have the gift of healing. I have never publicly said someone is sick and I pray for that person. But again, the tugging is so spirit, uh, so strong. I just, without even catching myself, I just say it. There's somebody in this room that has a liver condition that you have been hiding this pain for a long time. But today, God wants to know, God wants you to know that He knows where you're hurting and God wants to heal you. 
I'm like, no. And the translator, again, Colbert's looking at him. He's like, and, but he's translating. He's, he's going at it, right? I'm saying that as soon as that prompt is done, I'm saying again, there's a baby. Your baby is sick. It's a baby boy. Age of 18 months, that baby's been sick and God wants to heal you. This is not going right. And I'm just waiting. And there were, there were no more prompts. And lo and behold, just less than a minute, you see two men coming out from where they were standing, coming, making their way to the front. At that time, everyone's looking around. And everyone now is waiting for me or the Spirit to do something more beyond, right? I'm thinking, when I saw these two men come up to the stage, guess what happened? My faith increased. Guess what happened? I realized that it's not about me. It wasn't about the ser- It was never about the sermon. It was never, I realized my job was to get out of the way, allow the Holy Spirit to move and do His stuff right then and there. And we had a phenomenal meeting. Hour, hour and a half. After that, it was just fun, man. Guess what? I just waited. Waited for the next prompt. I just said it. My translator got, he translated. People are coming up. It was a powerful, powerful time of ministry. What about in 2006? Some of you guys know that I was a field missionary during the years of 2004 to 2007. I was in the country of Afghanistan. Uh, it was a 99.7% Muslim country. So by the government laws, you're not allowed to preach openly to the people of Afghanistan. If a, if a foreigner were to do that and you're caught, it's immediate expulsion. Uh, they will kick you out of the country. If a local, if an Afghan national is caught uh, proclaiming or preaching any message other than Islam, it's execution in the court of law. So public preaching, sharing the gospel is a very, very difficult thing to do in Afghanistan. For that reason, we kept all of our ministries and, and proclamation uh, undercover. So we had a secret Bible study once a week with the kids at the orphanage. And with a relationship that I had at the teacher's college that I taught, taught English, I, I secretly conveyed the gospel message as I just had relationship with individual students. And, um, uh, and, and being a foreigner in that country, I, I had to renew my visa every six months. So every six months, I had to make a trip out to the uh, the, the provincial branch of the Ministry of Foreign Affairs. So all the foreigners of five, six provinces, right? Uh, this is where we would go to get our visas. So it was time to renew my visa. I rolled up and I applied for a visa. I'm like waiting in the waiting room. And usually I talk to the deputy. They, they're the ones processing the papers. So I'm just waiting and all of a sudden, the minister himself comes out. This is not the minister, like the whole nation, but it's the regional director. I mean, pretty high up in there still. He comes out himself says, hey, are you Scott? You're Scott, right? He says, Scott, why don't you come into my office? Very unusual. Uh, he has no business of seeing all the individual applicants for visa, right? So he, for whatever reason, he wanted to uh, have me inside his office. So he calls me in. As I'm going in, he's directing his, uh, one of the soldiers whose whose only job is to be his personal bodyguard. Equipped with what? 
AK-47. He's telling the guard to leave the room and said, don't let anybody in. And I, I could hear him prompting him. I mean, that's kind of bizarre. Like, it, that just never really happens. So he's out of the room, and he has me sit right ne- in, in the couch right next to the desk where he was sitting at. He never got out of, the, uh, got of, got out of his desk. And he said, oh, make yourself comfortable, you know, getting tea and, you know, whatever. And he turns on his television. I never forget. It was a silver television. I think maybe like no bigger than like 24-inch. So one of those big backside, right? I mean, television. And he has satellites, so he has like probably thousands of channels. And he's flipping through the channels. And I have no idea why this guy is doing this. He's flipping through the channels, and he stops in one of the channels. And though I never understood Russian, I knew it was a Russian channel. Just the way they were conveying, and you can, right off the bat, I recognized it was a Russian televangelist preaching in a large auditorium. There are hundreds, if not thousands, of people gathered in the auditorium. People's, their hands were raised high. They were worshiping God. Some of them are crying. Some of them are praying. And the televangelist swing back and forth on the pulpit, preaching or pro- proclaiming whatever the church or the pastor thing that he was doing. And this guy turns to me, Scott. Do you know what they're doing? He's pointing to the television. Why? What are these people doing? Again, I have very little time to process this because, and I'm always cautious about how to respond when someone, anyone mentions Christianity in Afghanistan. I'm thinking, is this guy onto something? Is our cover blown? Did someone report us? So I'm like thinking, I'm just I'm playing dumb. Like, what are you talking about? What, what do you mean what? I, uh, it's just... And he says, why are people crying? What is that man saying? So I had a choice to make. Either I play dumb and go on about our day, or this is the most incredible opportunity that I have in preaching the gospel of Jesus. And finally I thought after all these years, you know what, maybe this is my chance to die a martyr's death. Maybe God's going to allow me. Maybe the reason why he kicked off the guard is because he wanted to get the job done himself. He probably has a pistol under the desk, as far as I'm concerned. And I turned to him in my broken diary. I mean, I, I spoke diary, but then never fluently, I mean, to, to fully convey the message. But in my broken diary, I, I, I explained to him that they're actually worshiping God. They're crying, they're emotional because they're overcome with the sense of love. That there is a God who is personal. There is a God who understands pain. There is a God. I'm like preaching and I'm quoting scriptures. At the end of that, I said, the Bible says, Whosoever believes in Him shall have life everlasting and shall not perish. And you too. And I said, you too. If you want it, you can have it too. And I just sat there. Like I think I had to place my hands on my knees because they were shaking. And I just looked at him. And he looked, he looked right back at me too. And there was a silence. What it felt to me like eternity. And he turned to me and said, Scott, I know you teach English. I know you're involved in orphanage ministry. But can you come twice a week and teach me English in this office, just you and me? And when you come, is it possible for you to talk to me about that God? 
Guys, I became his personal English teacher for the five, six months after that incident. I was granted access in his office, in his private office, and every time I went, he kicked off the guard. It was just him and me. We went through a little uh, English uh, lesson book, side by side, level one. But a good majority of that time was spent me teaching him about God and his love. And I taught him the Lord's Prayer in English. I mean, he quite never memorized it, but I told him, you need to memorize this. How do you explain that? Was it the sound theology? Was I like gifted in the language? There was something beyond that was going on there. I'll share one more story. 2013, I'm invited to speak at a a youth conference uh, in the city of uh, Tampa. I had never been to Tampa. I mean, honestly, when I I was asked to come, I got really excited. I didn't really pray that much about it. It's like, you know, Tampa, I had never been to Tampa. So God, here I am. Tampa, here I come. I thought Disney World was close by. It's not. Um, So I'm going. I I, I go, and it's a four-day conference. 200, 300 youth kids. And so the last night of the, uh, it's the third night or second night or third night, one of those nights of the conference. And I just preached. It was an okay sermon, good sermon. And I had given an invitation for students to respond to and, and now coming into ministry time. And people are lined up. I had the volunteers to come on and come and pray and, and, and stuff. Um, and I forget how that thing went. I'm just pacing back and forth and and I'm just waiting, waiting, waiting. And all of a sudden, I, I hear God prompting again the same spirit, tugging on my heart, saying, I want you to go pray for that kid. And in front of me was a, it was a big kid. I recognized him right away because he was way too big. I, 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 I thought I was sure that he was on something like steroids because this guy was way too buff. And he was just a high school senior. Like so big, right? Standing there. Just with his, just waiting for somebody. So, and God is saying, well, go up to him. I was about to pray for him. And then in my spirit, I sensed it. Well, God, uh, Scott, go up to the kid and tell him nothing. Go up to him. Don't pray for him. Just hug him. And so I take a step back. I said, God, hold up. I need to pray for this kid. I can't hug this kid. Maybe I could hug the other guy. But not this 185 pounds, just pure muscle. I'm not hugging that guy. This is not the language that he's waiting to be spoken to. It's like, God, would you please check with your spirit and confirm with me soon. I said, Scott, go. Give him a hug. What do you do, right? If he goes bad, I mean, I'm gone next day. So I go up. I think I try to pray. I say, hey, uh, God loves you. But that the prompt was so strong, I go up to him. I just, you know what? I just hugged him. Or I tried to hug him because I couldn't reach his back. I just embrace him. It looks like I'm just hanging on to him. He was that big. 
And then, seconds in, I felt a movement. Because I'm holding him. And I just continued to hold him, hug him. And I could feel his shoulders moving, shaking. And now that shaking of the shoulder is now full on. He's whimpering. He's crying. And in and, and just a, ma- a matter of seconds, he's full on wailing. All in my arms. All in my arms. And I have no idea why this is happening. Now I just look really weird. I made this grown man, man child cry. I mean, this is going on. And, and, and it was to the point where even though I didn't know what was going on, I knew that I couldn't let go of him. I just kept holding on to him. I don't know how many, how many minutes passed, but eventually that night came to conclusion. And finally after that, we had a chance to catch up. He came up to me and said, Pastor Scott, can I talk to you? I said, sure, man. Please talk to me because you need to explain what happened. He was 18 at the time. Just big, big guy. He began to share his life story. He shared a story at the age of 11. He was asked to come over by his neighbor to his house. First time, second time, and he shared about his... He was abused. He was sexually abused. He talked about the past. And he carried that pain all the way through junior high. And he mentioned that he mentioned that he had brought that story up to his family. And his dad told him that, you know what? It's tough what happened, but you need to move on. This is your story. You need to move on. So he was so hurt, so confused. He has so much pent-up anger and frustration. He, he chose to work out for every day of his life. So he went from this 112 scrawny kid at the age of 12, went to fast forward, I think, six years. He put on about 70 pounds of pure muscle. And he said, Pastor Scott, when you hugged me during prayer time, he said, that was the first time I had any physical contact with another human being. I, you can't, you see, stories like these really mess me up. It makes, it literally makes me throw my hands up and say, I don't get it. I can't explain it. You will ne- I will never understand it. It really simply is the work of God. Without the power and the intervention of the Holy Spirit, we will never, never understand God. And this is exactly what Paul is saying here. Intellect is important. Human understanding is necessary at times. But he's saying, you know what, guys? When I come to you, it's not me. We can't approach the gospel without intellect. You know what? What we should be striving for is God to convey through His power, through His Spirit. We better be just, just as eager to experience God that way. You know what? This passage is very personal for me as well. This passage was very pivotal in me entering full-time pastoral ministry, actually. 
At the time that I received the call into ministry, there was a huge fear that I had. I had a huge insecurity. Because I never saw myself as someone equipped to do pastoral ministry. I was enamored by what I could not do, what I did not have, the books that I had never read, the classes that I had never taken, the former training that I had never received, the sound logic or the clarity of speech that I knew that I never had. All of these things overwhelmed this sense. Yet I was torn because while I was externally insecure about what I did not have or what I could not do, inside of my heart there was this burning unction, burning desire to convey God's love. I remember reading Jeremiah 20 verse 9. It says, you know what? I, I have the word of God in me. It has become like fire, like burning rocks. Unless I speak it, unless I speak forth, it would I mean, I have to let it out. I cannot withhold it. I, I am weary of holding it. I must preach. I mean, I, mean, I had this sense. I was torn. I didn't know what to do. Because according to my desire, I knew what I had to do. But when I measured the abilities that I had outwardly, it didn't make sense. So this passage, 1 Corinthians 2 verses 1 through 5, resonated with me because in the words of Paul, Paul is saying, guys, it's not about what's up here. It's not about how strong you are. It's not about how competent you are. It's not about your abilities. There's something that supersedes what is seen in the eyes of man. There's something more that's happening. When even a simple sermon like this is being conveyed. Do not ignore the work of the Holy Spirit. I remember as a 19 year old living with this dilemma, dichotomy. I have this unction desire and outwardly I'm a nobody. I remember approaching every sermon opportunity, every preaching opportunity, every pulpit. I said, God, I have done my part. I have studied. I have prepared the sermon. But God, you better show up because... What I have is not enough. And these past two weeks I pondered, God, how do, how do I go about preaching these days? How do I go about approaching the pulpit and conveying God's word? And I couldn't help but to reflect on, do I pray as much as I prepare? Do I study do I pray as much as I study? Do I seek God? Do I pursue God to move? Do I eagerly anticipate the Spirit's working as much as I, under, I, I desire, I want people to understand the words coming out of my mouth? And then I, I remember, what is the goal of preaching? I realize it's, it's to connect the people to the love and the power of God, isn't it? And I thought about, man, do we long for God's Spirit to move in our lives? Do we anticipate His involvement? Guys, and I'm going to land the plane right now, okay? What about you? What about in the ways that you live your life? What about in the ways that you approach God 
Has it been too much about, man, it's got to make sense? Have we placed our logic, our intellect, far above, or some of us, in place of God's Spirit and His power? And even though the context of today's passage has to do with conveying of the gospel message, I think we could also certainly apply this passage and this principle into our lives as well. Perhaps in your workplaces. Perhaps in the way that you approach relationships. How much room can we concede to God? Are you trying to do too much? Are you spending all of your efforts, all of your resources, trying to come up with the best solution, best way to approach? Or can there be, just maybe, can there be more room for God to come and intervene and allow Him to do the parts that we cannot do? There's certainly too many tasks for us That seems impossible. Reconciliation. Performing at a certain level in your jobs. Maybe leading a ministry at church. Maybe leading a team of volunteers. For some of us, literally preaching the gospel. One thing that I've learned in all the years of ministry is that Everywhere we look through the Bible, it is never a bad thing that we have insecurity. It is never a bad thing that there are things that we cannot do. It's never a bad thing that we encounter weakness. Because God over and over says, you know what? When you are weak, I am strong. Where you can't, I can Where you won't, I will. So friends, I invite you today, as I read this passage, or reread this passage, I want the Spirit, because I need the Holy Spirit in my life. And would you allow Him to come, And just take full control of your life. Amen? You guys believe that? And today, make a promise to God. Say, God, I'm not going to lead out with this. I'm not going to sit in the driver's side or driver's seat this week. God, I'm conceding to all of your ways. Come, do your stuff. God, Supernatural miracles. We want this one right here. Power, dunamis, dynamite. God, we want the Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit to be fully present. Amen? Let's pray. God, we talked about 
the Spirit's power, Spirit's involvement, and God, how we need you. God, perhaps that some of us have come to an end, a dead end of our abilities. We have lost sight of where our true source of our strength is. We have been confused over time as to where we ought to put our confidence in. Today, grant us the faith to place our trust in your spirit and your power, God. Holy Spirit, we give you permission. Come. Speak. Come. Move, Lord. We thank you. In Jesus' name.